When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth Shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make Shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. You're listening to the Impact Theory Podcast, your source of empowering ideas and actionable techniques from the world's highest achievers. Join host Tom Bilyeu, serial entrepreneur and co-founder of the billion-dollar brand Quest Nutrition, on a journey to unlock your potential and realize your vision of success. Welcome to Impact Theory. Hey everybody, welcome to another episode of After Impact. I am your host, Tom Bilyeu, and I am here with none other than the good doctor of finesse. What is up? Mm -hmm. What's going on? How you doing? I'm doing very well, thank you. Though we were just talking, and we won't spoiler anything, but (laughs) I don't watch This Is Us. But you guys even just describing what happened, that was pretty gnarly. Oh yeah, man. It's that, That show is just meant to make people cry every episode they just it's gotten to a point where it actually makes me mad that they just write the show to invoke tears but it works and i try to fight it and it just happens yeah (laughs) and a tear-free episode though of after impact today we're going to be talking about (laughs) maybe tony well it's good point yeah good point (laughs) tony hawk is on the docket (laughs) <laughs> so uh i guess i'll begin by asking and i think i mean i know the answer to this but i hear you talk about it every once in a while you talked about it in the episode uh but uh you said you skateboarded as a kid which i thought was cool because it's one of those things where i feel like it's almost a rite of passage for any kid growing up in the 80s that you at least attempted or you did it uh all the time but uh with me my brother skateboarded so I, i'm just curious to hear your thoughts like what was your first skateboard was it a hand-me-down did you get it from a friend did you that's buy it so funny that you ask because as you were going into that and i was really thinking back to when i first started skating my first memory of skateboarding was being embarrassed by my skateboard <laughs> so i really this is like at the height of the bones brigade yeah. Paul peralta was like the yes. shit and my skateboard was literally like a Kmart special off brand. <laughs> and I was so grateful to my parents for buying it. And I was so mortified at the same time. And I remember when I opened it, because I could tell, oh my God, it's a oh, skateboard. You could always and then tell. I was like, oh, oh yeah. my God. <laughs> and, and I was literally inside, I was crestfallen. But I was saying to my, my parents, like, oh my God, like, thank you so much. I don't know if they could tell like that I was heartbroken, but then because it was such a cheap skateboard, like I got made fun of relentlessly because there was a skateboard club and I oh, remember what? like I so at my school, yeah, middle school, oh I so wanted to take my, my skateboard in and be part of the skateboard club, but then I was the only person with an off brand board. And so like <laughs> I would rush really fast, hide it in my locker and then, but still skate after, um, after class. But there were guys, A, they were so much better. So imagine being the worst skater in the skateboard club oh. and having the only like off-brand board. Oh. It, it was not uh, a great moment. Now I gotta ask, from first glance, how did you tell it's an off-brand board? I mean, I remember being able to tell, but how did you tell? Like, what, what was well, that about your skateboard? Because the brands back then, you knew them. You knew so them. Pal yeah. Peralta was like, like, how would you know it's not an iPhone? Because yeah, it's true. fucking not an iPhone, yeah, yeah. right? So I took it out, and I remember it was called Nash. <laughs> and it, ah. like, 
It was oh, so oh, like cheap and cheesy. And so do you remember skid guards? Oh yeah. Like the, so you'd have a skid plate for anybody uh, that wasn't skating back then. Now it's just like the boards are raw. Exactly. But back in the day you would put like this big plastic like bubble on it. Mm-hmm. And even the plastic bubble looked cheap oh. and it like burned through really fast. And then my plastic bubble had a hole in it. Oh, uh, it was heartbreaking. Man. And I remember it wasn't until I was in high school and I was making my own money. And this is now skateboarding has like evaporated. It's really not cool now. Yeah. But I still loved it. And one of the first things I did when I was, um, you know, summer jobs, but when I had enough money was I went and bought a skateboard. Hmm. So and finally upgraded it because I went from like the old school goofy looking skateboards to like now I can afford whatever deck I want (laughs) and got, you know, the ones with the dual kicks at both ends and yeah, but still couldn't skate. I remember being able to tell uh, the off brand ones are just the perpetrators by. Uh, (laughs) (laughs) You would have been one of the kids making fun of me basically. Yeah. Yeah. And you could tell when it didn't have any of the kicks on it, when it was just flat in the weirdest places or it just kind of had this weird curve. When the concave boards? Yeah. Yeah, for yeah. a red hot minute, there were some really concave boards yes. that were like ridiculous. The middle of your foot wouldn't even touch the board because <laughs> it was so concave. Yeah. And it was ridiculous. And I remember you just knew right away, no matter what you did with it. But it was always so cool. I, I'm, God, I wish I could remember the one my brother eventually got, which, oh man, I'm embarrassed that I don't remember it. It was one of the big skaters. Um, and it was beautiful, like underwear. It was so beautiful. And he was showing it off. And he wouldn't even skate on it for like three days. <laughs> he would just carry it against his shoulder so everyone could see the bottom design. Yep. And we were all so jealous. And my brother just did it to do it. He just, my brother's one of those guys who just can pick up anything athletically by trial and error and what you guys talked about in this, the 10,000 hours. And I remember I was like, you don't even skateboard. What are, you, what are you doing with that? And he would just carry it around. And sure enough, by the end of the week, he was doing all types of tricks, man. And I remember his ollie was higher than any ollie. To this day, I've yet to see anyone on the street doing ollie like my wow. brother. Wow. I, I don't know how he did it. And he was shaped like Tony Hawk, gangly and long and skinny and clumsy. But, man, he can get up there. It was insane. And I, I still don't – I would try it. I could barely get off the ground. I remember you said that you thought you were getting off the ground, uh. but you weren't. One of oh, my man. biggest heartbreaks of my youth was realizing that I couldn't ollie. Yeah, and this was, I was really obsessed with Tony Hawk. And yeah. I didn't know that he was like being ridiculed. Like yeah. to me, he was, one, he had the coolest name. Mm-hmm. So let's start with that. Like names, Lance Mountain, Tony Hawk, those are like the cool names. But Tony was a much better skateboarder than Lance Mountain. Um, and yeah, he was, it was just unreal watching him. And I remember my neighbor, or not my neighbor, but my best friend at the time built a half pipe in his backyard. <sighs> And it's always that one kid, always that one mm-hmm. kid. And I just could not bring myself to, to drop in. It was just, it actually had vert on it, dude. So I was like, yeah, n- <laughs> no way. Absolutely not. Yeah. I had a neighbor, his dad built the half pipe and it was, it was unbelievable. I think it was huge and I couldn't even believe it. And it was in his backyard and we would all go and do it. Not once did I try, not a single time. Cause so I was like, this is insane. Who would do this? Yes. Like, just like gymnastics. I always wondered who was the first person in history that said, I'm gonna get on this beam. <laughs> <laughs> that my foot doesn't even fit on, that I'm hanging off the edges and I'm going to do a flip on it. Yeah. Like, who was that person? Uh, but the amazing thing about skateboarding is, again, coming up in the 80s and it was exciting and everyone was doing it. But at the same time, it still wasn't vastly popular just yet in the early 80s, mid 80s. And it's crazy now. Like I saw Joseph Dillard III uh, in our comments said this one uh, comment that I had to point out. He said, I grew up in West Tampa projects. Now, 
I'm sure you know about West Tampa projects and anyone who knows about West Tampa projects, it's, it could be the project. I it literally is, know nothing about West yeah, Tampa it's projects. A, yeah. It's, it's the projects. And this is the guy who made buying skate games, skating games, cool as hell for a bunch of project kids. All of my homies had Tony Hawk pro skater. Ha ha ha. Mind you, we were all black, LOL. And that cracked me up because um, I remember in the 80s, if you were black and you were skateboarding, and even in the early 90s, you, were, you just weren't considered cool. I mean, even looking back, I, I, even then I didn't get it. I was like, why is this, why is this weird? Why can't I skate? But I guess because of all the pro skaters and the people you associated skating with, long-haired white kids, right? That's what you saw back then. And, you, and at the time, you just didn't see it. But... There were factions of people doing it. And I remember at the time, my brother and I and our friends, Kiwanis and Kendricks, we were doing it. And all the other black kids were like, you can't skateboard. You're black. It was, it was so weird to me. So seeing that blew my mind because now we've come to a point where you think of NERD, you think of Pharrell skating, you think of Tyler, the creator, and all his buddies skating. And they got a skate shop down on Melrose. What's his name? Uh, Wheezy. Wheezy He's Skateboards. A big skater. Wiz Khalifa skateboards. You look at his audience, it's a bunch of skaters. That's his audience. That, he's tapped into skateboarding culture. And Tony Hawk, you know, going to my next question, Tony Hawk had talked about the Olympics and how you know, skating is going to be in the Olympics for the first time. And he's excited to see that this is something that he and his buddies made popular. And then now there's a skating team in Cambodia and a skating team in Ethiopia. A skating team crazy. in Ethiopia, to me, that's mind-blowing. So I want to dissect that for a bit and get your thoughts on how something started as almost uh, a bunch of misfits and has grown into something so vastly popular. Now it's a, a competition in the Olympics. What are your thoughts on that? I think it's amazing. And the evolution of anything going from the fringe, the obscure, to finding its way to the mainstream. And I think that Tony really is just an incredible ambassador for that. And in the episode when he was talking about, so here's this thing that's already fringe. And now I'm getting made fun of by the people on the fringe. He was like, so I didn't even fit in among the misfits. And he said, you know, that, that, that. really yeah. created something in him that I think is it, it teaches you to find a sense of self-worth, of being self-guided and self-directed around something where you just want to make progress. And if there's one thing to take away from the episode, to me, it's that. It's this notion of, it. for him, it was an obsession with progress. And what I love is, and we didn't get too deep. He touches on it in the episode, but we really didn't go super deep on it. But so you take skateboarding takes off in the 70s right at the tail end of that that boom the first boom in the 70s is when he gets into it then it it like has this massive crescendo in the early 80s but then it dies out in the mid to late 80s mm -hmm. and he just keeps going through all of it because he said i never set out to be rich and famous it was just because i absolutely loved the progress i loved getting better i loved going out there by myself and seeing how hard i could push seeing how far i could go and he said you know it was like an empty canvas and i could paint whatever i wanted on it and because of that, when all the money disappears, everybody else stops skating, but he doesn't. He keeps going and going and going. So then when it comes back, he is literally decades ahead of everybody else. Mm. Like no one can keep up because he was the, one of the only elite skaters that just kept going and didn't succumb to drugs and all of that, yeah. that a lot of people. A big one. Um, and I don't remember exactly what the problem was that like Tony Alva had, uh, Christian Hasoy, all those guys, but they had Christian Hasoy. That's dude. the skateboard my brother had. <laughs> oh, dude. Hasoy was amazing. I can't believe I forgot. It was his skateboard. Yes. His whole Christ air yes. and like how yes. high he got. That was, yeah, it was crazy. Out of control. Out of control. Crazy. But what I love is that because Tony loved it yeah. and just kept at it for the sheer joy of skating, 
he then, when, when the timing of everything comes back together, he crushes. And I think about like the growth that we're having as impact theory, two things. One, my love of filmmaking, which you know has always been a part of my life since I was 12 years old. And then the whole social thing, being ready to capitalize on it because of just my own evolution off camera. And then, oh, all of a sudden, my absolute desire to connect with people is met at this moment, as social media begins to blow up, that's how the company Quest blew up. Uh, certainly how I gained early notoriety as an influencer was I'd spent the last 15 years like building businesses and thinking about all of that. And then, oh, as I become overwhelmed with this desire to help and connect, that's when this whole thing, personal branding and social media mm-hmm. takes off. And so doing something because you love it, not because you think that it's going to be big or it's going to make you popular, like those are where the real heroes of the the genre or the sport or the mm. whatever come from is people that it wasn't anything other than the love of the game. And that's what I, Tony's story just encapsulates that for me. So seeing it now, that thing that he, not single-handedly, but damn, he was the face of it, yeah. make it become something that people all over the world can express themselves, that they can find their love for it. And now that there are paths to the Olympics, you know, for, and it's not necessarily still the outcast, but it's still a little bit of a fringe thing, yeah. you know, all around the globe to be able to do that. I think it's really incredible. And, and he said at the end of the episode, when I asked, what's the impact you want to have on the world, you know, was to do that, to make it more accessible for people, to give other people the option or the chance to do that. And I mean, he's done that. It's pretty cool. I want to comment on uh, being able, it being a misfit sport and being able to do something you love and turn it into a passion and into a brand. Uh, but before I do, I'll be remiss if I don't mention um, the fact that skateboarding is still kind of a, a fringe sport. Uh, I've, be- <laughs> I've become that dad who, when kids skate around the neighborhood and they're get- just on the street, whatever, who actually... Uh, yells at these kids. You pesky kids. (laughs) I'm telling you, I've become that dad. So I I, got to tell this side story. There were these group of kids in my neighborhood. Oh, going back to it. And they were, and they were uh, black, just like me. So you think I'd be like, Hey man, cool. Black skateboarders. (laughs) I I skate, I skated when I was your age. Right. But instead I became that dad who was like, get out of the neighborhood. I was so pissed because they kept skating for some reason, uh, the ramp coming out of my place, uh, they were using that as some type of, I don't even know what you call it, because it's not a half pipe, so just some type of ramp. And they were skating on it, jumping in my bushes and crap, like on purpose. And and I just remember thinking, like, man, these kids are terrorizing the neighborhood. And they weren't. All they were doing was skating, but it's something that's jarring about that. <laughs> and seeing them get hurt. Now, as a dad, I get why adults... And parents in particular get so mad at skateboarders because you see them busting their bodies up. So part of you is like, why are you busting your body up and on my property? So you get really, really angry. So I'm not not even lying. It became a daily thing where I would sit and look out the window waiting for these skateboarding kids to come around. (laughs) And I would go out. I just picture you like looking out the window. Just looking out through the curtains. And then I would go out and then kick them out. But you guys got to leave. And they'd like give me this look, especially this one kid in particular, he would just stare me down every time. And I'd be like, what? And they would leave. Literally, this was a summer of me against these teenage skateboarders. And I remember just laughing one day because I, I was telling my dad about it. And he started laughing, being like, I can't believe you become that person because you were that exact kid. You were the kid always getting kicked out of the neighborhood for skateboarding, this and that. So it's so crazy that 
yes, it is still that fringe sport. And it, and I, and it got to a point where I just became cool with them. That's the, the end of the story. Got to a point where I just would say what's up to them. I'd be like, hey, what tricks do you guys have now? And I started talking to them. It was crazy. And they thought I was the coolest dad in the block. This guy's actually talking to us and learning, you know, wondering about our tricks. I'm sure when I turned my back, they were talking about me. <laughs> but um, so going back to what you said about it, uh, taking something you love and turning it into uh, a brand or a profit. Now, because skateboarding was such in as uh, uh, a fringe sport and Tony managed to do something with it. Now, looking ahead at other things, how, what advice do you give for people who are, have this, you know, something that they love and they want to turn it into some type of business? But something like skateboarding, who would have ever thought that that be, would become a, 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 a competitive sport, a business, uh, you can be, do personal branding, all this stuff around it, it becomes a money-making machine. How do you do that with something you love that's not quite there yet, a brand new idea? Well, uh, so Tony really lived this, and I think that it's he answers one of the most important questions in the episode, which is people really have to rethink what success is because he said, "Look, I was you know dirt poor, and I had my five dollar allowance to eat Taco Bell every day, but I was getting paid to skate, and even though I wasn't getting paid a lot, it I was so happy doing what I loved." And I think people, they have one metric for success and it's money. And while it's an easy metric to say, I'm making more than you or less than you or whatever, so I get why people focus on it. And it's an important metric in that it will help you meet the needs that you have to actually stay alive. So I get it, but there's a pretty low threshold where you can stay alive. And then beyond that, it becomes how much of your life do you spend doing things that give you more energy than they take away? And I just, I cannot cannot stress that enough. Like put things in your life that give you more energy than they take away. So if that thing is skateboarding or the next fringe sport, in fact, let's take e-gaming five or six years ago where it's like, you've got these kids that are playing games. You got kids writing games, writing scripts, writing the actual code, whatever the case may be a lot longer uh, ago for the code for it being absurd. But you know, not, not too long ago, the first college courses began to offer gaming modules. So it's, it really comes down to not how much money, fame, fortune is there in this. It's how much are you going to love it? And then if you love it, then you're just going to be the one that stays in the game long enough. So I'll parallel to Disney. When Disney got into animation, everybody's like, what are you doing? Animation is dead, dude. Like there's no, there's no money to be made in animation. That, that was literally what people told Disney. crazy thought. So, That's crazy. But he loved it and he wanted to get great at it and he wanted to be the best. And every time Disney had hardships in his life, his knee-jerk reaction was to make the product better. And that's why he ended up towering over everybody else because he was so focused on getting better. Tony, what's the same story? I just wanted to get better. I just wanted to see how much I could push myself. And so then when the sport caught back up to him and they were looking for a face for the X Games, of course it's going to be him yeah. because he spent all that time. He started the company when skateboarding was in the dirt and he like had to refinance his house and then he had to sell his fucking house in order to keep his company. So it's like... You're doing it out of the love. And that's like, it's why people say pursue your passion. But people don't go to that next thing, which, and maybe this isn't even deep enough, but it's something that gives you more energy than it takes. And I, I think if you create something in your life that gives you more energy than it takes, just keep focusing on that. Keep pouring energy into that. 
And then if you also want to see how do I push this, how do I make it big? Like I, I will parallel it to what we're doing here at Impact Theory. So one, I don't think I've ever, you've probably, I've mentioned it maybe once or twice and you probably thought I was being hyperbolic or joking, but I'm really serious. I think hiding in you is, is like this immense creative potential. And you the mean me? You, okay. Christopher <laughs> McDonald, <laughs> Dr. Finesse, and the industry literally broke you. Oh, yeah. And, yeah. and my thing is, I know that's coming for us. There, there's an element to the industry that is so fucking broken, it's crazy, and I won't tolerate it. So now the question becomes, is that bravado? And the industry is going to chip away at me and break me as well? Or... Are we going to be able to every time we, because what it, it's, it's inertia, it's fear. The industry, they um, gamble so much money and nobody knows what's going to hit and what's not going to hit. And they never know if they like a talent, if they're real talent, if that talent will resonate. So it's like they're, even though they might like it, they're, they hesitate to bet on it. <laughs> and the bet's so big and they've been burned and they're just trying to keep their job. And I get it. I understand how an industry based around art and fickle consumers, how we end up here. But I do think there's a way around it. And I think that what it's going to take, and this is my theory right now today, is every time we hit somebody who's slow, we've got to move. And we've got to go to that next, without burning a bridge, right? Because mm -hmm. the slow person, maybe the, the tortoise ends up winning because yeah. you know the, the hair is over here so frantically. But it's like, we've already hit, I'll say seven people in the industry that were, each one of them, when we first encountered them, I won't mention names. Mm -hmm. It was like, I would come back and be like, guys, I met this fucking person. They're going to be amazing. They're going to take us here. And then they're like slow. They disappear. Yeah. They're not responding. But then like keep that ball rolling, move on to the next. Then they're the next thing. Oh, slow. Move on to the next, move on to the next. But I'm finding that there are certain people that move faster than others, right? Mm -hmm. So, okay, now we invest more energy in those. And then if somebody moves even faster than them, we invest more energy in them. So, and now we've got what looks like going to be our first sort of pseudo TV show pitch that we'll uh, co-fund and put, and it's moved faster than all of our other deals combined. Yeah. So it's like they, those people are out there. And we need to aggregate all those people that are moving fast. Now, this is a very long way of saying that if you've got this fringe sport or whatever, or you've got an industry that moves really slow and seems impossible to break into, you can decide that, oh, I'm also going to go get good at the business side. And Tony talked about that in the episode. And he said, whatever you're going to do, learn every element of it. Mm. And that is so smart. And it's so akin to what my father-in-law told me, which was... Um, when you go into a business meeting or in any business scenario, quite frankly, know more about the deal, the topic at hand than anyone else in the room. Mm. And he said that's how he went from literally being the errand boy to running the company. It's, it, it is a miraculous story when you take it beat by yeah. beat. It's pretty incredible. And he said that was my secret weapon. I would just research and research and research and research. And you know, I've said this before, but it's not a mistake or a coincidence that that's how I broke into the interviewing game and going from we couldn't get anybody on the fucking show to now where we've become in, in our little niche, which we'll ultimately break out of. But in our niche, we're like the premier interview to yeah. do. So just doing that amount of work. And so that's what Tony showed in this. And that would be the advice that I would give to anybody that if you want to take your fringe thing to the mainstream, you've got to get past the inertia in the industry and you've got to understand every element of your business. That's a fantastic answer. That's great. Uh, so Tony talks about fear and pain and overcoming the almost in, um, inevitable injury pretty much. Uh, from your point of view, 
getting to that point, do you consider that a flow state? And I guess in his sport. And for those of you who don't know what a flow state is, I'll, I'll let you describe it. Well, a flow state is where you're able to do more than you normally can in a state of effortlessness. So you're at peak performance with minimal effort. So it's normally referred to as the point at which you're no longer thinking about it. And my favorite, one of my favorite quotes from Bruce Lee is, I kick until I no longer think kick, I just kick. So that's a flow state, yeah. right? And um, Stephen Kotler wrote a book called um, The Rise of Superman. And it, it's all about like extreme athletics and how that can get people into a flow state. Um, sports people call it the zone. Mm -hmm. And I would say that 100% Tony saying about getting around pain and dealing with pain is not at all related to flow. Okay. And that is, and I'm always a little disappointed with people's ability to explain what they're doing or why they mm -hmm. do it. And the only person I've ever heard give an answer that really resonated with me was Goggins. And when he said, I believed that I was the weakest man God ever created and I wanted to become the strongest man alive, like that's when everything changed. In, this is him. That's when everything changed my mind and I began to push myself and develop myself. And I just thought, I get that. Like coming from a place of self-loathing mm -hmm. because I want to know, like, do you know Rodney Mullen? Oh yeah, of course. All right. Can we get him on the show, please? I've actually literally you been already working out. on it yeah. because, mm -hmm. oh my God, I have the chills at the mere thought. So Tony was like, owned me heart and soul growing up as a kid. And then because I was following Tony, I watched a documentary done by um, Stacy Peralta, okay. which I forget the name of right now. And in it, he interviews Rodney Mullen. Hmm. And I was like, who the fuck is this guy? Yeah, he was like, sort of vaguely on my periphery from the skateboard magazines and stuff when I was a kid, but I didn't really remember him. And hearing him talk, I was like, whoa. Mm. Now, in the documentary, they paint this like, and it, it's believable. They paint a story of the tortured artist whose dad was, I think, abusive, and who certainly was like, you can't fucking skateboard, I don't want you on that thing, like really, really wrote him hard. And so he had to go basically practice skateboarding in secret on this like, three by three uh, concrete slab that he had in his backyard and becomes literally the father of modern skateboarding, mm -hmm. learning all the flip tricks, the ollies, the everything. And I get why he needs to get good. I get why he needs to get away from his father. I get why he needs something that is his own, as Tony called it, blank canvas and learn to paint for himself and find that self-esteem and confidence and go into something in a flow state, in a meditative state and all that. So I get why someone like Rodney Mullins would suffer because we all need that. We all need to feel good about ourselves. But what I want to know is why was Tony willing to suffer like that? Yeah. What was it? There clearly was something so beautiful in mm -hmm. the form of expression, but something captured his imagination that's so ineffable for him that he can't describe it. And it's like, I want, I want to crawl inside his mind mm -hmm. and figure that out because... If you can teach that, and, and I will confess something, I was so emotionally weak as a child that there were a lot of things that I think could have really blossomed into something amazing and beautiful in my life and didn't because I didn't know how to conceptualize pain. And I certainly didn't know, no one in my life knew how to help me conceptualize that. Mm. So... For instance, I would, um, in soccer, I grew up in Tacoma, Washington, so mm -hmm. soccer season is cold as hell. <laughs> and yeah. when a soccer ball hits you at full speed on your mm -hmm. little pink 
naked leg mm. and leaves the imprint of the soccer ball. <laughs> it's like that hurts so badly. Yeah. And I remember I would get so angry and I'd want off the field and I'd want like them to, you know, say, oh, I'm so sorry. I feel so bad. <laughs> and so that like let me feed into that weakness. And all my dad would ever say was toughen up, right? Like yeah. suck it up, walk it off, get back out there. But it didn't help me change my relationship to pain. And so it wasn't until much later in my life, in my 20s, when I got fed up with who I was and realized I had to stop asking myself what's the least that I can bear mm. and start asking myself what's the most that I can endure. And that changed my relationship to fear. It became about pride. It became about who I am. It became about toughening up and seeing what I could become capable of. It became about impressing myself and really realizing that you can do so much more than you think and that when fear kicks in, like you don't need to be afraid of that. And yeah, it's like, if I could get from somebody like Tony, what they did to themselves to come to that beautiful relationship with pain, then it would seem more teachable. Do you think he's still figuring it out? I don't know. It seems like maybe he has. It, it seems like he, if, if I were to crawl in his mind and articulate what he's feeling, which is so arrogant to think that I could do, but let me just for a second, I think it would go something like this. The highs that I experience when I'm on my skateboard, when I do something that I didn't realize that I was capable of, is so much higher than the pain that I get when I fall that I do it. And I think it was, um, was it just yesterday with uh, Devin Still? I think it was him that was talking about it. Like, if you want to go do something, pour yourself into it, you have to ask, is what I get out of this? Oh, yeah, yeah. Is it better and like and then this is exactly what he said so Devin still former nfl player um said when you imagine yourself achieving your dream mm -hmm. does it excite you more than the thing that you're afraid of and that is almost certainly what's going on in tony's mind mm -hmm. like seeing the people because he said that he knew he wanted to be a skateboarder the first time he saw somebody get air in a pool and so seeing that captured his imagination, the elation, the excitement of that dream of imagining himself being able to fly like that so captured him that even the pain was less than that thought of him being able to do that. And I guess the truth is for me, the notion of being good at soccer, the notion of being good at skateboarding was way less than the pain. Like I remember one time I tried to ollie over a speed bump. Now remember, my back wheels don't leave the ground. I'm not aware of that, but... So I think I'm going to be able to clear the speed bump, but my back wheels just roll up. And then as they're coming down, the skateboard just shoots out from under me. And I land on my hip so hard, Christopher. It was, it's a blinding Oof. pain. It Oof. is so intense that at first you can't tell where it's coming from. Mm. You're just like, your whole brain is consumed with pain. And I laid there on the ground. And you know when like you tense every muscle to mm -hmm. try to make the pain go away? So I'm doing that and I'm like, oh, <laughs> like on the ground. And I was, I think if I remember right, I got up and threw my skateboard. I was like, you're pissed at an inanimate object, right? That's amazing. And so I was just so angry that I was like, why would I ever do that again? So to me, I never tried to ollie over a speed bump again because that pain just wasn't worth it. Jeez. And it, the reason that's sad to me is because to this day, I'm a 41-year-old man. To this day, I wish I was good at skateboarding.
Really? Yeah. Wow. And did I tell you that Tony, um, so Tony in the episode says like, I'll teach you how to Ollie. Oh, I yeah. can't remember if he said it during, while we were recording or after. Actually, I think he said it after. Okay. Yeah. So mm-hmm. he says, Hey, I offer, you know, my, um, I offer to teach you. And I was like, dude, that'd be so amazing. But you never know. Like it's somebody yeah. just saying it in passing. And he shot me a text the other day and he said, Hey, that offer for the Ollie <laughs> lesson still stands. That is very So amazing. I'm going to fucking go down. And I want to learn how to ollie. That from is this guy. amazing. I mean, I mean, let, let's just sit there and unpack that really quickly. Because one of the things that I love to do is to take moments of my youth and any adoration that I had, anything that I wanted to do, especially if it involves people, public figures um, who were the face of things or whatever, or who had milestones, and. If it ever came to pass in my life, if I ever had the ability to tell them that and sincerely have a conversation and see that they're appreciative and, you know, them give some type of feedback or give back, it always blows my mind. It's mind blowing to me. Or just even, uh, and I mentioned this before, when Prince, who didn't love Prince, but I loved Prince coming up. And I remember when I watched Purple Rain for the first time, and I had to hide and watch it because my parents wouldn't have been cool with me watching it. Because it it's a pretty dirty movie. And the songs are very sexually suggestive. You know, they just weren't, weren't going to be cool about that. Um, but I remember watching Purple Rain and it blowing my mind. Fast forward years later, 30-something years later, whatever, uh, and I'm sitting across from Prince. And, and this happened three times, but each time that I sat across from Prince and spoke to him and talked to him about a segment I was producing or his performance or whatever, it just blew my mind. And one of the times I straight up blanked out on the conversation because I was <laughs> literally, I took myself, like, I think I had a genuine out-of-body experience. I think I zapped and went through the portals of time back to my youth and sat and thought, God, I'm going to be sitting across from Prince years from now, and it's going to blow my mind. So I'm going to go back to what you just said. 41 years old, you say you secretly still wish you were a great skateboarder. You got your first terrible skateboarder off, skateboard off-brand. Your friends made fun of you. You were in a skateboarding club. I mean, Tony Hawk is the face of skateboarding. I mean, he's just he's a household name going, especially by 99, people who didn't even know anything about skateboarding are playing his game, his video mm-hmm. game. And you have him on the show. You talk about your terrible Ollie, how you can't get the back skate off. Now he's texting you saying, I'm going to teach you to Ollie. You're taking him up on it. That's a beautiful thing to me. That's, that's pretty crazy. And it's, I'm not even, that's not happening to me and it's blowing my mind. It's <laughs> blowing my mind. That's crazy. It is crazy. And that's not, no one, not everyone gets to experience that. You know what I mean? So I'm sure you realize how amazing it is, but I want to really push that energy towards you for it to really sink in how amazing that opportunity is. No, it's absolutely incredible. It's and Look, it's not an accident. And so I'll, I'll detail, you and I have talked about this, and I've mentioned it before on the podcast, but I really want people to hear me. A big part of the reason that I wanted to start Inside Quest back in the day was I want to get in the room with people that I admire, with people that, that really are the world changers, people that can do things. And I believed that I could do a certain type of interview that would prime them to be open to getting to know me in an ongoing basis. That one, it would just be a better interview than they've ever had. Two, that I would be able to show that I understand what they're up to. 
And being understood is like a big thing, right? Yeah. So I know it's super cheesy in Avatar, but like that whole thing, I see you. Mm -hmm. I wanted people walking away from an interview with me knowing I see them. Mm -hmm. Like I see that deep part of you. Yeah. And it happened with Devin Still after we recorded the interview. Yeah. They were still recording. They, I, I was like, you motherfuckers better be recording yeah. this. Because it was like, it was so real and so natural. And I will admit my, my fantasy would be to one day be able to interview in a way that's as unguarded as what we can get when all the cameras are off. Mm -hmm. And every now and then, this happens pretty rarely, but every now and then we'll have a Devin Still moment where the camera shut down, they felt seen, they feel seen mm -hmm. in that moment, and so we're really able to connect. And so as soon as the camera stopped rolling, he was asking me some questions and like we went like deep in some pretty cool stuff. And I realized, I'm making a real connection with this guy and we're, we will almost certainly have some kind of ongoing relationship. And that was one of the primary drivers behind doing the show. And so for anybody out there, it's like, if things seem unattainable, if there's people that you want to know, but you don't know how it's like, there is a way to be able to bring so much value to that person that you can get to know anyone you want. Mm -hmm. But it isn't an overnight thing. It's not the kind of thing that happens easily. Like you've really got to pour yourself into becoming the kind of person that they would want to hang out with. In fact, who said this? Tucker Max mm. said in his episode, which by the way is great, go watch it. He talked about to have the kind of wife that I wanted, I had to become the kind of person that that type of person right. would want to date. Mm -hmm. And I thought, that is incredible. He's like, it's not about finding that person and having them change you into it. He's like, you have to already be that person for mm -hmm. them to want to date you. Yeah. And so he said, I had to do the hard work of not faking being that person, but actually becoming mm -hmm. that person. So it is amazing. And I'm blown away by Tony's generosity. What an incredible offer. I'm super excited to do it. And But this is the kind, like, it. I don't want, I don't want to aw shucks it and mm -hmm. have people go, oh, wow, he's so lucky. Fuck that. This, this was exactly the kind of thing that I set out to have happen. And you can lead with this kind of intent if you can find the authentic, sincere way to connect with people. Yeah, that's, and that's an incredible answer. I, and I'm glad we took a moment and unpacked that because that was, that, that's just, it's something else. It's amazing. Um, so Tony describes his sons to not committing to something to learn. Like he said, oh, you got to commit to it. You know, he, mm -hmm. he goes on, you have to commit to it. it sounds cliche. But it's something that kids do. And I mean, and everyone does, but you see it really early on. And it's something that I'm trying to catch in my son. When I, when I heard him talking about that, I remember I thought to myself, oh, my Lord, I can, I can completely relate to that. Because not to say that my son's a quitter. I'm not saying that at all. But so many things I mentioned off camera to you that he's a very smart kid. Uh, but his athleticism is dirt poor <laughs> now he's big for his age so i'm sure he'll catch up and who knows he may be a, a superb athlete he may not whatever but naturally as a father i see him try things and i just it just irks me that he doesn't commit to it mm -hmm. like if something doesn't work he's like nah, i'm not gonna do it i'm like no no just try you gotta commit keep trying trust me i know what i'm telling you just do it five or more times and you will learn it it could be the most simple thing but if he can't do it he's like i can't do it and so when i heard Tony talking about that and his frustration about it when his sons would try something and wouldn't commit to it. And he, and he would say, trust me. And then, of course, one of his sons is a uh, he's a pro skater. So obviously he listened and did commit to it. But 
you went on to say in the interview that that translates to all things, business, uh, learning something in general. I wanted to get your comments on committing to a craft to get better. 100%. I'm going to be a little um, indulgent for a second and, and talk about what he means in skateboarding. Mm-hmm. Uh, and he described it really well. But if you've never skated it, it can be um, difficult to understand. So he said, you pop the trick okay. and then you expect the board to like do its thing and then magically come back to your feet. Because what right, skateboarders yeah. will do, and, and I was really good at this, I can pop a kickflip. Oh, really? I can't land a kickflip. Ah. So popping a kickflip is all like you can literally, some people can do it like with one foot. You just... <laughs> Pound on the back and then you slide your foot up and to the side, right? Uh-huh. And I think a kickflip specifically, assuming that your regular foot, it would be off and to the left. Um, and, and then it spins the board once and mm-hmm. you land back on it. So spinning the board is easy. But having the faith that the board will be on its wheels right under your feet the moment that you need it to be right where you need it to be and it's not going to go flying out from under you it's not because what will happen is sometimes you'll catch it on when it's on its side and then that's how you blow your ankles that's out. an ankle sprain right there yeah 100 percent. and you do that enough times and all of a sudden you get real gun shy and i remember because so all of those tricks were so far outside of my world <laughs> that yeah i did definitely did not commit i didn't even try to <laughs> fake a commitment <laughs> but there was one thing that i could do one out of every 10 times but the other nine times, if nothing went wrong, I would mm. just chicken out. And that is to ride off the end of something. Because oh, yeah. you and your board fall at the same rate. Yeah. So you might get like an inch or two inches between you and the board, and then you land back on it. But if you just commit to the fact that gravity will do its work, <laughs> the board is just going to fall straight down. You're traveling at the same speed, so you will fall in the same with the same arc, everything. And you will land on that board. And the times that it works, Christopher, it feels like a magic trick <laughs> because you feel the board separate from your feet. And so in your mind, it's like, it won't be there, panic, hit the alarm button, and you just wanna like land safely. So you, you spread your feet over the board so that your board then will be in the middle and you'll land soft, uh, safely on the ground. And so you would just see like, there'd always be the one or two kids that would do it every time, every time, every time, because they just were committed. They knew it was gonna be there, they trusted it. And then there was people like me who just, even though I had done it before, like, Every time I had to re-go through the panic of it's not going to be there. It's not going to be there. And so that was an exercise in the times that I landed it were the times that I was like, I'm prepared to break my ankle. Now, once you flip that switch, I'll fucking break my ankle. There's no way I'm not doing this. Then you land it almost every time. It's really crazy. And I remember I had a similar experience when I did the Tony Robbins thing and you walk across fire. Mm -hmm. And I I don't want to spend a lot of time on it, but I will say leading up to it, they give you such a strong warning that even though I wasn't tense about it, they were making me tense about it. <laughs> but then I was like, I've told my wife before that I would walk across fire for her. So I literally have a chance to oh, prove yeah. it. So I'm going to make this about my wife. And there is no universe. There's a universe in which I'm rushed to the hospital. I will admit that. <laughs> but there isn't a universe where I just don't do it. <clears throat> and because I was that committed, I did it. And it was amazing and you know, made it all the way across. But it's that So to bring it back around now to your actual question, it's that moment of you decide that the thing that you get out of sticking through this, even even if it fails, the thing that you get, the internal sense of pride, the belief in yourself, the confidence, the, um, the, oh God, there's a word I'm fucking blanking on. You just, where you know you're gonna show up for yourself. Mm -hmm. I cannot believe I'm, I'm blanking on that word. The credibility, the credibility with yourself. It's so important Mm -hmm. that, It doesn't matter, shattered ankle, burn my feet off. Like none of it compares to 
actually having that credibility with myself. Once you flip that switch, whether it's starting a business, whether it's quitting your job, whether it's chasing your dreams, whatever it is, once you decide I am doing this, even if this, the failure is spectacular, it is more important to me to be the kind of person that will take this risk. There is so much freedom in that. So Jocko Willink's Jocko Willink talks about how discipline equals freedom. That moment where you're, you're more than willing to accept the most brutal consequence because more than you're afraid of that, you're afraid of being weak. That's freedom. Mm. Wow. All right. Well, uh, I'm going to do one more question because we have to reset for real impact, which is in a, uh, our impact studios channel. So you guys, youtube.com forward slash impact theory studios. Mm -hmm. So uh, this was a great moment for me watching this interview uh, where Tony, he opens up about uh, a moment of losing his self-worth. Um, it's when, you know, he was losing contracts. He struggled with a sense of value and he asked himself, who am I? Um, I think this is something that people often forget that uh, no matter how successful you are, uh, you're going to have some pitfalls. Um, and it's, it's about getting back on your feet. Um, there's a, a, an amazing quote from, uh, Balboa, uh, which, <laughs> and I have to quote Rocky, but they use it a lot, uh, with, with a lot of these motivational videos. I hate that the Philadelphia Eagles have hijacked that quote and they use it in every one of their games. I get it. The movie takes place in Philadelphia. Um, but he talks about, uh, you know, the bell and, and getting knocked down, but you have to keep getting up. Um, and I attribute that to uh, what Tony was saying, because, I, I, you know, in my mind, I can imagine, with, especially with something you love and something you've worked so hard to attain. And then suddenly it feels like it's not happening the way it used to. You're not getting the attention you used to. And and when people kind of look like they're losing faith in you, but that's not the case. I could see how that can really, really make you question your self-worth. Um, so how do you prepare for that? How, is there any preparation for that? Yeah, 100%. So first of all, I think it's important if you want to achieve at the highest level, you're going to have to tie your identity to it. So I think Tony needed to tie his identity to being a skateboarder. Um, and then obviously, as he got bigger to being the best skateboarder. And then when it was the best, it was also the best at business. And I think it was wise, downright wise of him to tie his identity to that. But the one thing that he could have done to prepare ahead of time was remind himself, this too shall pass. Mm. It will go mm -hmm. away. Like, and this is, I want everybody to, to realize this in their own life. And I'll give you an example from my own. Like being a, um, a personality on YouTube, this shit has a shelf life, man. Mm -hmm. Let me tell you how rapidly this ends. So because I know that, because I am hyper aware that even if it lasts for decades, it won't last forever, mm. that you've got to be ready to shift your identity. I'll leave my identity in it as long as it makes sense. But the moment I need to or want to go in a different direction, I will immediately pluck my identity out of that and put it into something else. Now, I have the mandate that my future is always bigger than my past. So no matter what I achieve, I'm always finding a way to do something that's bigger. Now, I get to define bigger. That's the great news. So it's something, it doesn't have to be measured in revenue. It doesn't have to be measured in employees. It can be measured in impact, whatever I want. But like, it's gotta be something that I believe in more that makes me feel better about myself, that's more exciting to me than anything I've done in the past. So 
all of those things are how you prepare yourself for this. Know that there's inevitability to the change. And if you're an athlete, dude, even something mm. like skateboarding where you can refine your style over time to mm. make it less and less like um, jarring impact, it's still physical prowess. And your physical prowess, unless medical science catches up, which it may one day, but certainly hasn't yet, it is going to diminish. Yeah. So you've got to just be able to, it's kind of like uh, strong convictions loosely held. My identity is all in this, but I am, I've fashioned it such that it can be immediately plucked out mm -hmm. and put into something else. And I had a similar moment where um, that whole thing where I was having problems with my voice. And I thought, yeah. whoa, because I had, I had prepared for it from a career standpoint, but I'd never prepared for it from a like physical ability standpoint. Mm. Like, who would I be if I couldn't talk? Like that was the first time where I got caught off guard and I thought, whoa, like you've got to go even way deeper than just being able to detach your identity from the current manifestation of your skill set. You've got to be able to detach it from the skill. Mm -hmm. So being able to say that I will find my voice air quotes for those listening on the podcast, <laughs> even if I literally don't have a voice, like in being able to move yourself over to that, I think is really, really important. So just the, the long and the short of it is understand everything in life, this too shall pass, but know that it is very, very powerful to tie your identity to something. You just have to be able to switch when the time comes. Uh, I hear that. Well, that is Tony Hawk for you guys. Uh, amazing person. I mean, and I still can't believe you get to go down and get taught how to appropriately ollie yes. from the face of skateboarding. That's like saying I want to get taught how to wear a purple velvet jacket by Prince. <laughs> you know, that's, that's something else. Uh, so, yeah, so that's amazing. But, yeah, great interview, great nuggets from this interview. Definitely watch it. Watch all the other interviews. And, uh, Tom, uh, amazing insight. Amazing. Thank you, sir. Thank you for lining it up. Guys, thank you for watching. It is always appreciated and listening on the podcast. Much appreciated. If you haven't already, be sure to subscribe. And if you're listening on the podcast, be sure to go to iTunes and leave a review. It helps more than you would imagine. All right, guys, until next time, be legendary. Take care. Everybody, thank you so much for listening. And if this content is delivering value to you, please go to iTunes, go to Stitcher, rate and review us. That helps us build this community. And that is what we are all about right now, building this community as big as we can to help as many people as we can deliver as much value as possible. And you guys rating and reviewing really helps with that. All right, guys, thank you again so much. And until next time, my friends, be legendary. Take care.